Good evening, dear listeners. All good things must come to an end, at least temporarily. This is the last episode of season one of Back to the Pictures. Dry your eyes, mate. The movie review podcast by three university friends, once more taking you on a venture through time and space. And as we always say, not to be confused with the popular Einstein theory, rather we are discussing an error in our lives where we had an abundance of time and space. The three of us lived, studied and raved together as Manchester students between 2005 and 2009, and when we couldn't be found on campus or at legendary Manchester venues such as M2, Font Bar, Subspace and Popolinos, we could be found at home watching this shit out of a ton of movies. Now in our 30s, we've regrouped and decided to re-watch all the films that we originally watched together at uni, sometimes with glee, often with gloom, but always with humour. Follow our journey as we resurrect, review and reconsider motion pictures, movies, films, flicks, features from a simpler time. Dry your eyes, mate. We are your hosts. I'm Ben. I'm only burning my half. Rose. I'm Anton. Let's put a smile on that face. Oh, Gundamu. I'm Ian. I'm not wearing hockey pants. Green. We starting this already. <laughs> it's what the fuck f- off with your hockey pants. <laughs> hockey what? pants. What? Absolutely. What the hell? Subtitles on. Basically, I'm Ian. Pants. Ian is convinced. Do you know what? I, I no, no. Let's wait till we get there. <laughs> I can't. I can't do it right yet. All our reviewed movies are rated U. This stands for University Standard. And seeing as students generally have lower standards than most other classes of people, viewer discretion is advised. Tell me, Dr. Ogundamu, where are we going the last time for Series 1? Dry your eyes, mate. Oh, we are going there. The year is 2008, and the film is The Dark Knight. Oh. <laughs> I wanted to Why do the so old Batman. Serious, I wanted to... <laughs> <laughs> oh! <laughs> oh! You did it so well. I didn't even. I didn't even. I almost didn't get it. That was brilliant. No, but seriously, why so serious? Yeah. <laughs> why so serious? So, with a heavy heart, for the last time this series, please roll that trailer. Dry your eyes, mate. ago, these uh, cops and lawyers wouldn't dare cross any of you. I mean, what happened? So what are you proposing? It's simple. Kill the Batman. (laughs) Here's my card. Bruce, this is Harvey Dent. Rachel's told me everything about you. I certainly hope not. You once told me that we'd be together. Did you mean it? Bruce, don't make me your only hope for a normal life. You're Alfred, right? That's right, sir. Any psychotic ex-boyfriends I should be aware of? Oh, you have no idea. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) We're tonight's entertainment. 
Beautiful. Hello, beautiful. You look nervous. I've seen now what I have to become to stop men like him. The night is darkest just before the dawn. I promise you, the dawn is coming. And here we go. This city deserves a better class of criminal. I'm gonna give it to him. No! You'll see. I'll show you. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. in the back putzer? In the middle of the day, Alfred? Not very subtle. The Lamborghini, then. Much more subtle. This is the point where we warn you, moving forward, spoilers come thick and fast, quicker than Batman on a skyhook using a service-to-air recovery system to escape loud skyscraper. So, if you want to pause the podcast here and go and watch the movie, that's cool. Or if you don't mind, let's crack on. Okay. Um, so this is, uh, as we said, The Dark Knight. It was released in 2008. Let's start by running down the fucking epicness of the cast. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Christian Bale, Bruce C- Wayne. Christian Bale's Bruce Wayne and Batman. This was one year before Bale's infamous outburst on the set of Terminator Salvation. And uh, here you can tell he's like really into the role of Batman and that kind of rawness is the fucking that's the excuse he uses for that outburst he has on the set of Terminator I'm trying to remember the exact what was the exact word really yeah he said that um, he was so into do you remember he said he was so into being John Connor and John Connor's mum is crazy that he brought some of that out of the scene and that's where he went on his outburst I want you off the fucking set, you prick! Le- le- funny enough, I've literally seen a quote where he actually says, I'm half John Connor and I'm half Christian there. Wow. <laughs> quite, quite literally. Well, there you go. He, um, he was, uh, you could tell he's so into the role of Batman in this film, and um, he uses that channeling of psychological imbalance to, uh, as an excuse for actually uh, being a bully on set. Uh, over a year later um anyway so we also have heath ledger posthumously posthumously given the best supporting actor oscar for this once in a generation portrayal as the joker and the first superhero film ever absolutely to receive one exactly that and probably likely the only one we'll see in our lifetime crazy absolutely crazy it's funny because you remember when he was cast he actually received a hell of a lot of flack for it, for it being yeah. an incorrect casting, to the point where it actually became part of the actual viral marketing campaign for the film. I was, it, it was one of those things where you heard it, and I was just like, it was so kind of out there, I was like, it's got to be good, but I'm just going to leave it. And mm. Jesus Christ, good. Doesn't even do it. I, I think the first <sighs> Batman film eased me into it more, where I was like, I can't picture what this joke is going to be. And when I first saw the, the artwork of the Joker, 
I, I felt a lot more at ease uh, seeing the, the, the pictures of his face. A very, very different joker to what I'd ever seen up to that point. So, mm -hmm. unbelievable. Sadly, as we know, he died of an overdose just before the release of the film. Uh, that may have added a mystique to to that legendary performance. We'll never know. Um, more on that later. Gary Oldman as Commissioner Gordon. Um, Aaron Eckhart as Harvey Dent. Now, this is a film chock full of fantastic performances. And it's justifiable that this incredible performance is perhaps a bit overlooked because of how much there is in terms of talent. It was meant to be kind of the all-American presence, that kind of, almost like a Robert Redford kind of look. And it, and it shows, it really kind of shows. Mm. Um, but the funny thing is looking at the other people who they went, who went, or not necessarily went for it, or were considered for it. Um, Josh Lucas, Ryan Philippe, Mark Ruffalo. Funny enough. Don't know how really? that one works. Yep, Mark Ruffalo. Wow. You can literally think of hulked out on that one. Um, <laughs> then again, though, I suppose the whole underlying anger, darkness kind of thing that then has Mark Ruffalo would have quite I mean, literally killed. Aaron I mean, nailed it. Practically yeah. for it now. Aaron nailed it, but I definitely think I could have I could have pictured him pulling that off. Oh. Yeah. You know. And then Matt Damon, funny enough. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. I, I was going to say it had to be done. <laughs> it had to be done. Matt Damon. Morgan Freeman playing Morgan Freeman in a Batman film. <laughs> it literally is the point there. Is, would you have Morgan Freeman play anything else other than himself? No. It don't even matter what film it is. Uh, Bruce Almighty, I would like you to play Morgan Freeman, a.k.a. God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there'll be several films that we'll review that have Morgan Friedman in it, and it will always be Morgan Friedman as Morgan, Morgan Friedman. Friedman. <laughs> um, it's crazy. I, I loved every scene with Lucius in it. He's just mm. he nailed every single part. So. It's true. Um, Michael Caine playing, well, older Michael Caine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> It is something with those two. They just do it. They can just get away yeah, with it. Absolutely, absolutely. It's just they're just at a stage now where you just when you become so established as an actor, it's like just I would like you to play yourself. Mm. You've written a role that is pretty much you. Let's face it. That's pretty much what they do for Samuel Jackson now. <laughs> oh my God, that's so true. It's, of course it is. You don't, they don't they don't cast actors of a certain age anymore. They just call them up and say, Hey, we've written a role. It's you. Do you want to play yourself? Pretty much. Think think about it. Like Samuel Jackson's the. Uh, epitome of that because they actually rewrote a character of over 40 years of uh, story behind him just to look like Samuel Jackson in the hope that exactly. Samuel Jackson will one day play him. <laughs> exactly that. Exactly that. If anyone uh, is going to Google whether or not Michael Caine was actually in Burma, uh, he wasn't. No, that was... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's thank, thank you. Thank you very much for that. Um, uh, rounding out the main cast is Maggie Gyllenhaal, who replaced Katie Holmes, uh, who definitely takes the character of Rachel in a different direction, in my opinion. 100%. 100%. It's not even close. I, you, don't, you don't... But the thing is, I think Maggie Gyllenhaal said... She wanted. She wanted to do was was establish Rachel in her very much her own right in terms of kind of what she does and her own importance. And she really does that. I think, obviously, no offense to Katie Holmes, but she very much was kind of in the background. So that Rachel kind of being a side piece to Dent, Joker, 
Batman, etc. She still very much kind of had what she what she put forward. She like she was, she was the emotional connection between both of them, between mm. Den and Wayne. Because obviously, yeah, I mean, Kate Holmes was busy deciding to do another great film called Mad Money. <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard of it either. No. <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck turns down the Dark Knight? I don't get it. I just don't get it. But uh, fair enough. Whatever. It, it was something to do with Tom Cruise. I'm pretty sure. Um, so before we dive into the plot, where were we when we watched this? I believe it was a good old-fashioned trip to Dean's Gate, um, and we saw it at AMC. This is hundred percent a cinema run. Hundred percent a cinema run. With those stickiest floors of all time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. If you brought like flip flops, if you were in flip flops, you weren't go- they, you weren't leaving with them. <laughs> That's how sticky those floors were. How has it been fourteen years since this movie came out? It's depressing. You know, like when you at the like when you mentioned the fact that this was towards the end of uni, I was just like, oh god, it's depressing. The film feels like it was quite a while ago, but then at the same time. Yeah, yeah, nuts. Fourteen years. Think about how much has happened in in superhero movies since then, right? Because, I mean, they were superhero movies were big business, um, and I guess they had been since the X Men hit at the box office uh, back in two thousand. But they weren't what they are today. Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk had only just debuted that year, or yeah, it was that year, mm. uh, and that jump started the MCU. Um, but other than that, I, I, you had Spider Man. Uh, but I, I think the year previous to the Dark Knight's release, Superman Returns bombed hard. Absolutely. Um, with the emo interpretation of Superman. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there was that Hulk film before Incredible Hulk, which was also a critical and... Oh, jeez. Oh, God. Yeah. A bro- Banner. Yeah. Freaking hell. <laughs> Why did you remind me? Uh, hired only so that they didn't have to change his last name. The name absolutely. Um, and, you know, no one was celebrating the Fantastic Four movies either, you know. Oh, Jesus, yeah. So, in fact, Warner Brothers was still having nightmares over the disaster that was Batman and Robin in 1997. Um, but it's fair to say that in 2005, Batman Begins was released and that changed things in superhero comic books uh, movies forever. Absolutely. My first impression was finally here is a superhero movie that no one can accuse anyone of being a nerd for loving. Where, like you said, it was just a, uh, oh, superhero films are here. That makes sense. Mm. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't like oh, us talking about the Killing Joke before this came out, or us talking about anything specific. It was just everyone's gonna go see Batman, and that just put Batman straight on the, straight on the. Well, I mean, I could argue obviously other things put Batman on the map, but you know what I mean when I say it in this, this in this kind of new evolved version of Batman. And I'm I'm gonna argue. Yeah that we've never come close to it yet. I'm going to put it out there. Mm. I, I think they did a, an amazing job with these Batmans of turning. It was the first time I remember seeing a comic book film where I felt if this was actually in real life, what would it be like? And I think these, these films nailed that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, first comic book film to reach a, a billion, wasn't it? Was yeah. It? No, that, yeah, that's true. Before, yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't know if you remember, they released the, the intro to this film the first eight minutes early because there was new cameras and new HD technology as well. So I, I oh. love this film to the point where I watched that intro everywhere. Wherever I could watch that eight-minute intro, I was... Also, the first major... It's funny you mentioned that. First major motion picture film with IMAX, high-resolution IMAX. 
Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. true. So that, that was probably the big thing why they were kind of showing off what he could do. Oh, good for you. And how was it? This is the Gotham City that I always imagined. Just to give a bit of uh, context, right? So just after the ruthless um, uh, economic and social declines right, of the 70s, uh, especially uh, in the United States, um, people, society really believed the end was coming, right? Urban decay, the decline of Western civilization, the fall of man, anarchy essentially was the expected outcome, right? Um, in the 1980s, you had the war on drugs. In the 90s, you had the LA riots. Um, in popular culture, you had uh, hip-hop songs like Cop Killer. Never before had anyone heard such lyrics that represented a, um, a fragmented class system, right, in the Western world. So there are these key fundamental movies that cover this 20-year period that encapsulates this collective uh, concern of societal breakdown. Films like Robocop, Escape from New York, um, The Road Warrior, uh, Blade Runner... And then in the 90s, you had Terminator 2, Fight Club, The Crow, Demolition Man. All these films featured either near-future dystopias, which were like savaged by an upsurge in crime and lawlessness, yeah. or they spoke of the present being uh, infested with crime and immor immorality. So that decreased in the early 2000s. You had V for Vendetta, you had Children of Men, The Watchmen, maybe Equilibrium. Now... My point is that the Dark Knight, in my opinion, is the ultimate destination of these themes concerning and spanning three decades of social deconstruction, right? Scholars and yeah. historians, they rightly talk about this movie exploring the uh, consequences of civil and government authorities, like abandoning rules in the fight against terrorism. I get that. But in terms of a society that has succumbed to corruption and class conflict... Uh, which in turn has given rise to dangerous fanatics, you can't get more cutting edge than Christopher Nolan's Gotham City. I think the good thing about it as well is also the fact that but there's that ju juxtaposition against the poor, which you always clearly see, and, and you can argue villains actually kind of come from to an extent, or at least have had to kind of use that kind of crime and method methodology where it's like either people are very rich in Gotham or it's poor and you crime your way out of it. That makes sense? Not crime, you crime your way out of it. And it's pretty much the only people you have to get through or you get past to do that are the mobs. And it, it, it really kind of has that. You, you can clearly see that where despite all the griminess of Gotham that they never leave, there's still that very, there's still that echelon, that upper echelon that Bruce Wayne is very much involved in. And, and they, they show that, but they never show it too much. So it doesn't take away from yeah. Gotham itself, which is really, really well done. They never push it to the limits. So even even the point where they say we're going to put these people away, and they acknowledge that they're all going to get off. They're like, "Well, these people are going to get out early. The other ones won't be able to. You're only going to get the ones you can't like can't afford to save themselves." He said, like, "What can you do with 18 months of clean streets?" And it's like all that work they've done, the scale of what they brought down, and they're still probably only going to get 18 months out. Of Absolutely, it. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be a good year and a half. Yeah, I, I love that they was always like really grounded with the reality of it. That it wasn't like we're going to save the world and change the world. It's like we're going to do everything we can, and that's what we can do. So, mm. did you crime your way out? Is that your? Did you? Is that your ingenuity, Anton? Yeah, did you just did you just talk about it? Yeah, <laughs> I, I copyright that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, mm. pretty much. Literally, that you just it, you just have that feel. It was just like the people who made something themselves. In essence, were all mobsters. They're all, they're all the people that made it, and, that, and that's why the city was so 
prevalent and so built on it. Yeah. And obviously, we know, we all, as comic book geeks, kind of know a lot further more about kind of the rich and how that's involved and intertwined in in uh, that kind of the, the the crime that was involved in Gotham. So much so they explored it. It was practically almost the freaking basis of the latest uh, Batman film with Robin Pattinson. But that's it another was just story. Ev- exactly that. But it was just so evident that it seemed like the people who made their way out of it like were either they either really went the good path and were people like Rachel and 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 Harvey who studied away blah 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 and, and then became the upper echelon themselves for 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 the most part. Uh, or they, they were born into it like Bruce or like I said you crammed your way out of it and became a monster either mm-hmm. way all intertwined that's that's Gotham start of the movie a gang of masked criminals rob a mafia owned bank in Gotham City each betraying the other until the sole survivor the Joker reveals himself as the mastermind and escapes with the money the vigilante Batman district attorney Harvey Dent and police lieutenant Jim Gordon form an alliance to eliminate Gotham's organized crime Batman's alter ego, billionaire Bruce Wayne, publicly supports Dent as Gotham's legitimate protector, believing his success will allow Batman to retire so Wayne can romantically pursue his childhood friend Rachel Dawes, despite her relationship with Dent. The movie's so perfect because it's so confident in itself. Yeah. If you had, like, there are, and I'm going to put it out there, uh, there are a lot of bollocks... um, card whipping moments in this film it doesn't matter yeah because yeah. the film is so yeah confident right i mean just the, the first scene right the joker's plan is to zip line across buildings to break into a bank from the roof right they crack the safe well i guess the goons are downstairs distracting the staff why isn't there security on every level of this building why is it so easy to infiltrate the bank I mean, so it's a mobster bank, right? So I can understand it to some extent for that. It's like they don't necessarily need it because almost the bank kind of knows, people know whose bank that is, if that makes sense. Although, funny enough, when the guys were actually breaking the bank or cra- trying to crack the safe, they're like, why would it have so much protection uh, or protection itself? And then, and then the, the one, the other guy is like, oh, it's a mob bank. It's like, so how, why do some people know and some people don't? <laughs> do you know what I mean? But let's go. Let's go way before that. Let's go. Let's go way before that because, again, you've hit the nail on the head. Where there are so many bollocks moments <laughs> in this film, but you just do not give a shit. Joker is stood there in his freaking face paint. Yeah. Then he puts on a freaking clown mask and gets in a car. What the fuck? But who gives a shit? Because it's a fucking incredible film. <laughs> It's a beautiful shot. That's all I care about. Absolutely. Absolutely. He stood there, masked off, in his... Because think about it. He does the whole job, and he whips off his, his, his clown mask, and he's wearing his face paint. So he was blatantly stood there in the middle of the damn street, getting picked up. And then the guy who picks him up literally says, who's the guy that planned this? I don't know. They call him the Joker, because he's got face paint on. What? You mean the guy you just picked up? <laughs> but we don't care, because it's... Fucking incredible! <laughs> I, I I I'd never heard of an of a bank that's run by organized crime because I always thought that the the mob hide money in businesses like bars and restaurants yeah. and real estate and cement, <laughs> you know, and scrapyards. I think, it, like you said earlier, though, it goes to show the scale of the corruption of Gotham that you have mob owned banks. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you know this? The second movie we reviewed, where there's a heist and the teller has to explain 
to the robbers that they don't know who they're stealing from. <laughs> true, very, very, very much true. Can you imagine if it was her? She comes out with a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? All bets are off. <laughs> How many people do I need to tell this? <laughs> oh god! Um, the 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 bank that the this is a cameo by William uh, Fitchner. As the, yeah. gun, as the gun-toting bank manager. Um, officially, the least boring bank manager found in any film where there is a bank robbery, by Absolutely. default, that he hides a shotgun under his desk. Absolutely. <laughs> I love how he literally just sits there, he just looks at him the entire time. Oh, everyone's, everyone's literally shitting themselves, he just looks at him, he just here. Boom! <laughs> From his office! Like, he doesn't even bother to go out, he shoots him through the window. It's just freaking brilliant. Oh, he's, he's a great actor. He really... Oh, he was... He was brilliant. He rarely stars in movies. He's always like got a supporting player role. Usually plays yeah. some kind of diehard American patriot, like uh, yeah. Armageddon or Pearl Harbor. Yeah. He actually looks like a real life GI Joe. I, yeah, I love the little extra they when he's got the grenade, and I think the, the expression on his face is the same of what everyone was feeling of like it's gonna pop, and then the smoke comes out, and he like is almost like smoking it at that point. I absolutely love it. <laughs> he did a great job. When you have spat it out at that point. See, I was trying to. So, so it's like, what's I'm, the point? I'm so no, no, I'm so I'm so glad you said that because I I started thinking it's like, did he get shot in the arm that he couldn't move his arm so he didn't take it out himself, or was it just that it was shoved so far in his mouth he couldn't position it to get out? Because I remember thinking it's like, why is it still in there? <laughs> but I'm guessing, yeah, yeah, don't know. <laughs> All I know is that uh, he could have been a nothing character, but he he was a character because he had something to say for himself. You know, criminals used to believe in things. Yeah, yeah. I think I think. In in a way, through that, just literally through his mean, his, his his like minute performance, you kind of understood one Gotham in a way because of the fact that it was so mobbed on. Two, the the fact that this bank manager was so confident in what he was doing, it's like it just kind of showed. It was it in a weird way. I was like, why did they get such a good actor to play such a minor part? And it was like you realize, no, no, it's the it's the impact as to what what that's what that was, as in like the Joker pur- purposely chose. A bank that was in essence the shit. You know what I mean? Do you, know what I mean? Mm. You, you also nailed it earlier with again your, your, you know, what Gotham is that a bank manager has clearly been in firefights before. Absolutely. He didn't break a sweat. He's like he didn't walking break along. Mate, like, like, what? Do you know so, who this is? <laughs> he, he crimed his way up to bank manager. Absolutely. <laughs> 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 he crimed his way up to bank manager. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> For years, people have been going on about, uh, you know, the timing and precision of the Joker's plans in The Dark Knight. There's, you know, there's plenty of time to unpack all that, but essentially he'd have to be a, he'd have to be hero, hero Nakamura. Yeah, hero Nakamura, yeah. You know, with the precision, right? Um, I get that he could have convinced each member of his gang to turn on the other because of the mentality of a, a criminal makes that plausible. And I get that he could be uh, a good timekeeper and knew when the school buses would be en route. He's on, he's on, the, he's on, I, I, all I'm saying is Joker's on the Gotham school board. That's all I'm saying. He must be because... He was well aware of it. But, but his plan not only relies on the competence of at least five other low-life criminals, but this bus driver who, who <sighs> drives into the bank and then... yes. He drives out of the bank and just joins this school bus route. Why aren't the other drivers behind and in front? Exact, my exact. The dude who he drove in front of was just like, oh, 
That bus drove out of a bike. <laughs> That's peculiar. That's good. <laughs> That's peculiar. Oh, freaking out! It's so true. Uh, and he literally just keeps going. But I think that is a representation of Gotham not giving a Gothamites not giving absolutely, a shit. Absolutely. I think, absolutely. I think again, you would just be like, right, this is Gotham, so. Hmm. There, there, there's an early scent in the air uh, for me of um, 4chan and QAnon um, <laughs> because a group of thieves is nothing new but the Joker is such an off the grid character you wonder how he is recruiting so many zealots yeah. especially as the movie moves on you see some of the crazier people that he gets to and it just seems like there's so many times where the mobster's men just just take Joker's side where that's the only reason certain things work when he went to go see um, Michael J. White who played oh I've forgotten his name G- uh, Gamble Gamble Gam- that's it yeah Gamble and it was just like yes the Joker brought some of his own men but then eventually Gamble's men become his men and then when he's, when he's speaking to Chechen when he burns the, the, the money and it's just like tell your men they work for me and it's literally just instantly they work for Joker like he just inspired that kind of craziness, and again, you could probably call the bullets card in it, but the film's perfect, so we're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, I, agree. I, I think the recruitment—he's just the head of the family now. Do you know what I mean, of, of that group, everything still runs there, and he's always been like, people follow the plan, and the plan is they have a leader. So I, I very much believe that he would step into the actual people where he gets them to do real fucked up shit. He's getting from the the, the psycho asylums like that guy he puts a bomb in. And the guy's like, oh, man. he told me he's going to fill me with fairy lights. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, so true. The, the Joker approaches, uh, the, the fact that he changes his story for his scars every time as well. He reads people so yeah. well. Mm. Like, he adapts every every yeah. mannerism, yeah, everything. Does. His body language, his stories. It's the, just... It, it's true. You, you mentioned the, uh, the guy who's got the uh, bomb inside him, right? There's a few situations in this movie where it relies on the idiot plot device, where the person has to be an idiot for the for this to actually work. And one of them is like the guy's like, it seems like he's got some kind of contusion. I was like, bruv, yeah, he's he's so got stitches. Can, yeah, he's been yeah. he has been cut open, and a big box has been placed yeah, inside of him. What the fuck do you think it is? Yeah, you can literally. What, what you have to remember <laughs> is that wasn't a real doctor. It was a guy who had done enough crime to become a doctor. (laughs) 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 He he crowned his way to to police doctor. He got his doctorate for being a criminal. (laughs) There there is excellent rising tension in in the opening scenes. It feels like the air is hot. The city is melting in front of us, right? There's this half-arsed police search for Batman. um, But how... I don't know how no one is really questioning the bat signal coming from police headquarters. It's indefensible. Gordon says it's broken equipment. I'm gonna go. Do you want me to go fucking trash your lights? Do you want me to fucking trash them? Next, we see the Chechen meeting with Scarecrow, who it's great that he's got continuity throughout the whole three movies. I love that. Um, So, this Chechen's a a drug dealer, crime boss. Uh, It's pretty simple. This dude has purchased drugs in good faith from Scarecrow. Uh, that would sat that he would hope would satisfy his customer base. The drugs are bad. Of course, he's going to be pissed off. Scarecrow's a prick. Yep, absolutely. And he, but he remains, yeah. like you said, consistency. He's a prick throughout all the films, <laughs> and he's the only returning villain character in all of them as well. I don't know uh, how the Chechen seems to be the most level-headed of all the 
gangsters throughout the whole film, which is why he survives to the end. Why the fuck is he trading with Scarecrow? Uh, yeah, it's just business, though. Do you know what I mean? If, if this guy says he can get you... If you, if you are a, a gangster of Chechen's level in Gotham, like banks are protected from reputation of, you know, your mob, it'd be the same way, why would this random drug dealer screw over Chechen? Because that is probably the end of him and his whole gang. If you know what I mean. That's so... I think that's why Chechen is, is so mad in that scene. Uh, Obviously crime this way up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there are... Can I, can I be honest? There are some things that actually annoy me in this scene. Um, the copycat vigilantes who look like they work in Walmart or Staples somehow know the time and location of an organized crime secret summit. Yeah. How? How? I mean, it's in a car park, right? It's not like it's... I, I know what you mean, but... They're just, they're just, they're just, they've just been camping out for weeks. Oh my god, it's finally gonna happen! <laughs> I love how the Batmobile's protocol for intimidate is to blow up public property. <laughs> There's not much more intimidation to intimidating than getting your ass blown up, okay? So, yeah, I, I, it works. I mean, I hope the tank shoot will do the job. Uh, I hope that car park is insured for acts of domestic terrorism. (laughs) (laughs) God, sometimes he just does shit, man. Uh, It literally is. It literally is that. So, let's let let, let's talk about these um these copycat vigilantes, right? It's hockey pads. It's hockey pants. Clearly says, and he clearly says. Hockey pants. I am not wearing hockey pants. I don't know there's, what subtitles you've had no, on. There's not. There, there are no such things. There may be hockey pants, but that's not what he's talking about. It's. They are wearing. They are instead of instead of to emulate Batman's outfit. They are wearing black goalie hockey pads across their chest. I'm not wearing hockey pants. And from the waist down, they've got their hockey pants on. <laughs> Well, no, because hockey pants are freaking massive. Have you seen them? They're freaking huge, and they didn't look like the huge hockey pants, to be fair. So this this is actually a debate that has been going on for a long time with this movie, whether it's pants or pads. Uh, and, uh, you know, it clearly says on the current film, if you go and watch it, it does say that Batman is saying hockey pants. If it... Apparently, the original script says pads. Um but clearly, the final cut that was edited out and pants was added in. So. He doesn't even say. He doesn't even say anything. He literally just says, "I'm not wearing hockey pants." I'm not wearing hockey pants. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good choice. I'm not wearing hockey pants. Anton, Ian, this is a guy, right? Because Ian, you're full of shit, right? This, <laughs> this is a guy who watched the. Outtake, you know, he watched the special features once on the DVD of Dodgeball, the movie. And (laughs) there was a joke outtake where, you know, when it looks like they've lost and uh, Ben Stiller's character. It was a fucking outtake. It was a joke. (laughs) He really thought that they were actually ending the film like like that. He was like, yeah. the, the director makes this joke commentary saying, well, this is how I wanted to end the films about how life's not always, you know, you don't always win and sometimes the bad guys win and, you know, life just sucks. Ian's like, that was the perfect ending. Why didn't yeah. they keep it? I was like, because it's a joke for the extras on a DVD. 
Yeah, yeah. I actually, funny enough, it's funny you mentioned that because actually, I've spoken to him about the film, and he actually does tell me all the time that they lose. Because I've never seen it probably, but he always tells me they lose in the end. <laughs> yeah, they do. And then roll credits. I want to fucking kick your fucking ass. You know, shut up for a second, all right? Uh, yeah. Did you do you find that it was a really cheesy line when he's like, "What gives you the right? What's the difference between you and me?" Fucking hell, that was on the nose. Yeah, yeah. That was pretty. That was pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I, like, it kind I of. I love the line uh, though. I think they wrote it, it was like, "This is badass." It doesn't matter that it's you know fucking silly, but. Well, I tell you what, what the difference is. Staring at their feet. <laughs> I tell you what the difference is. He's not wearing hockey pants. <laughs> That's the freaking difference. Can, we can all blame uh, Christian Bale's annoying, like, n not using his nose to speak, Batman, like. I, was, I forgot, I was actually wanting hey, to... remember at this point, the whole podcast Batman... Like this. I forgot. So, <laughs> this I point in the film, Batman could move his head. You see, Ian was you not selling it. that at all. Anthony was like, fuck <laughs> off, shut up. <laughs> I, I feel well, passion, so... The, the, dif the, difference, the difference is, between me and Ian, is I'm not wearing hockey pants. <laughs> 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 oh, so, uh, if, if you want to try this yourself... I'm not wearing hockey pants. <laughs> <laughs> I said to God, one day I'm gonna to go to work and somebody's gonna be like, "Why are you doing this? <laughs> why are you? Why are you doing this to me?" I'm like, "Cause I'm wearing hockey pants." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gonna say it just for you. That's definitely come off at some point. What were you oh, saying? Sorry, no, go ahead. You were saying, go ahead, man. <laughs> uh, no, I think that joke died on its ass. <laughs> <laughs> it died in my opinion. <laughs> Apparently it was wearing hockey pants and is completely out of fucking season. So, Batman at this point in the film can't move his neck. So, mm. when he's trying to get into a car and be snappy at the same time, I can't blame Christian Bale. It's like, right, climb into your tank and be sassy to this guy. <laughs> I'm not the one wearing hockey pants as he's like sitting down with his whole upper body like frozen in place. Like, I, yeah, yeah. Mm. I let him off for that. Fair enough. Nah, it was, it was good. These these opening scenes though, it's like non-stop, right? The... <laughs> Sorry. Go on. Was it something? I, was it something I said? <laughs> I forgot. That laugh. I forgot. <laughs> just came out with it. I, I was. I've got it. I've I've got the film like as we talk, I go through it, and I unpaused it just so I'm throw a dog. And it's really. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so funny because there are so many parts. There's so many moments where he literally just chucks dogs off stuff. Off the it's roof. Like, dogs, so dogs, bad. Get a, dogs get a bad rep in that film. Yeah, someone should call the RSPCA. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, all these scenes have been. Uh, just like one step, one octave above the other. It's like I think the last words that Goth Gordon says in in Batman Begins is escalation. He's like um, he says it to Batman on the rooftop, right? He goes, you know, we get body armor, they get armor piercing rounds. Um, Nolan was telegraphing the theme of his sequel in that final scene. Absolutely, ba Absolutely. Batman is is a military in and of himself. He's an army of one. He uses high-tech, off-road, armored tanks, rocket launchers, explosives, stealth technology, vector-controlled jets, for fuck's sake. And the Joker is an insurgent, a response to Batman's overpowering might. It's a parallel to cells like ISIS and the American uh, military-industrial complex. You know, it, it's a war zone. 
The scenery is fantastic. It, it's a completely different Gotham from Batman Begins, right? The the aesthetic that Nolan was going for in Batman Begins was based on the Kao, the Kowloon uh, walled city of Hong Kong, and um, this though is just Chirac. You know, this is a concrete yeah. jungle, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Majority filmed in Chicago, certain parts obviously filmed in England, and Hong Kong, but even like I said, Hong Kong itself with the whole city feel. For such a dark film, in terms of kind of the theme, the settings were quite light, if that makes sense. You know, like, Batman Begins was very much lots of stuff happening at night. Even when you saw Batman fight um, with the bulkier suit, they purposely, did, they purposely had it, that kind of confusing Batman fighting, because Nolan wanted it to be like you were almost watching it from the viewpoint of a villain. As in, like, if Batman came at you, this is what you'd see. Body, hands, blah, 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 and then you're, and then you're done. Do you know what I mean? Whereas this was very much, you saw everything, you saw him move, you saw his movements, you saw, and it was full fights in daylight, there was explosions in daylight, you know, it was just very clear and evident. I mean, after the scene, we are introduced to Harvey Dent. I would, I would make a comment about how someone's able to smuggle a gun into a, into a court, but it's Gotham, so. That's Gotham. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's, there's nothing really to say about his introduction, it's actually kind of low-key, it's not until he... Um, he meets Bruce, uh, him, him and Rachel meet Bruce um, at the restaurant later where you kind of get to know Harvey a bit more. Um, I mean, that dining room scene. I, go I on. think this scene uh, sets some like seeds that I truly loved where he introduces coin mechanic and there's a, a line where he's like, Let, let's flip to see who leads. Um, and she's like, you will leave someone like up to the fate. And he's like, I, I can't remember the, the line he says, but he's got something. I make my own. I, 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 I would, make my own thing. No, he, she's I'm like, are you going to leave that up to chance? Thing. And he's yeah. like, I, I don't leave it to chance. I don't leave it to like chance. That. Yeah, I don't leave things to chance. So, yeah. yeah. And um, I think that is, it means nothing now. But when you add up yeah, three times, he does it before he becomes Two-Face. It, it, you know, there's actually so much more to this scene. It's one of the ones where when you come back to watch this film the second or third time through, these scenes have so much more weight. I'd argue, they I'd made, argue it's probably... They made him a badass in this scene. Like, That's what I'm saying. I was going to say. I agree but, with that. I said, I'd argue it's actually probably a, 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 probably a big introduction to the point where it obviously ends in that crescendo of a clap. And it's just yeah. like, yes, this is Harvey Dent. This is who he's meant to be. He, he's the DA that will literally kind of fight villains quite literally and is damn near bulletproof. Do you know what I mean? Like, they actually kind of speak about that than the fact that he, has, he doesn't get... That if he's not the DA... Uh, um, um, going after criminals and he's not getting shot at then he's not doing something right and obviously he very much is doing something right nah man I disagree I, I, he, he stands in front of that gun and he's dead if that gun isn't you know and, and, he, and he makes the stupidest face and then he's like oh it's not gonna fire now I get to punch the guy and then he you know he's that clap as well it was forced I didn't like it I would I preferred him in the in the next scene um, which is a great scene with a with a fucking line that was written for the trailer where he's like, Rachel's told me everything about you. Well, I certainly hope not. You know, like, that was such a trailer line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think, I think, for me, it was the, the line at the end of this where they're drag, about to drag him out and he's like, whoa, I, I'm, I'm not done with him yet. And that, yeah. like, as much as it was forced cut, that line the whole, incredible. The, not only just been shot, well, shot out. 
that scene pretty much it served up it was like yeah this is Harvey Dent as in that this is this is the person who's if I mean you definitely argue it's forced in terms of the way it was done but it was very much kind of like this guy's is almost the non non Batman equivalent or the the closest thing to the legal equivalent of what a hero in Gotham would be very much so and kind of what was blatantly forced and seemingly unnecessary was Rachel's reaction to to him like to everyone clapping where she kind of looks down and kind of looks like she needs to rearrange her knickers because she's that happy to see Harvey or something like that. <laughs> but that but like literally it was that was the whole point of that particular scene forced or not, or not so. it took them to get that character in court like um uh Eric Roberts yeah, yeah Maroney Maroney, Maroney in court Maroney, yeah how long, like, because his lawyers would be pushing everything back to have it all broken up because of pulling the gun. Like, Harvey nailed that. Like, yeah. I think as a, as a character, he, I loved it. But it was, it was very, very much American. Down to the, you should have bought American. Where is that? Oh, my God. Yeah. The scene with Harvey and Bruce at the dinner table, right? I mean, they're casually measuring dicks. But the interesting thing um, for me is that Bruce is liking Harvey because he sees Harvey as yeah. his way out. Harvey is sleeping with Bruce's, what Bruce considers his girl, right? And Bruce is thinking that this guy who is sleeping with my girl could actually be the solution that will allow me to sleep with my girl. My girl. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a good point. I've never thought about it because it is very much seeming so like, Bruce is obviously all about Gotham kind of first and foremost and and, and almost Rachel as well within that. But like I said, obviously Gotham is, is... his first mistress, if you will. Oh no, I disagree. I th- I'm sa- I'm saying that Christopher Nolan turns Batman on his head in this film, and everything he does is to try and secure a future with Rachel. It's it's Dent that's actually more for Gotham, uh, but you know we can we can dive into that when, when mm. that presents itself. But what what Harvey is saying at the dinner table about how you know he loves the idea of a vigilante and he's proud for people that stand up for them and you know it's all about um you know truth justice in the american way this is a bruce wayne wet dream because this truly is the white knight someone like batman must have been waiting for so although they are clearly in competition for rachel bruce actually needs harvey which is a really interesting dynamic instead of them just hating each other for some sort of macho misogynistic reason yeah um yeah absolutely absolutely i think like i said i think i mean because like again it kind of to an extent i can get where you're coming from in terms of it kind of in well in terms of what you just mentioned about nolan turning batman on his head but again first and foremost because the whole point is the fact that he's not with rachel because he put gotham first and that's that that's never going to change so yes he definitely sees um then as what he needs but and in a way i've never kind of never thought so much as that being the motivation for why he's pushing that forward but it's also or definitely obviously part of it but it's also very much kind of like he does see then as the solution to what they need um, and to what uh, what Gotham needs in a sense do, do you think that line um, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain do you think that line kind of comes out of nowhere I mean they weren't having that big of a discussion and then I mean I don't agree I mean, Mother Teresa didn't have many detractors when she died you know you don't it, it was a little bit of a presumptuous line which I think I think what they were trying to do was to try and obviously we all know how the, the film ends and I think it was that kind of we're trying to link it back to that because he says it again at the very end but I'm with you on that it was just kind of like you've lived on that was like wait what 
what? 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 <laughs> it was just like, what were we even talking about that? But, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. It did kind of, it did kind of come a little bit out of nowhere. But, but let's never forget that this film is perfect. So they can say what the f- they want. I don't care. <laughs> exactly. This, the, everything that's happened so far has all it, all it's done is convince us that the stakes are. Gotham could fall to criminals if absolutely. they don't act now. Absolutely, absolutely. And Bruce will never get the woman he loves unless he finds a way to hang up the cow. True that. The Mafia crime bosses gather to discuss protecting their organizations from Batman, the police, and the Joker. The Joker interrupts the meeting and offers to kill Batman for half of the vast cash fortune their accountant Lau concealed before fleeing to Hong Kong to avoid, avoid extradition. Batman finds Lau in Hong Kong and returns him to Gotham Police custody, and his testimony enables Dent to apprehend the crime families. In response, the bosses accept Joker's offer, and he kills high-profile targets involved in the trial, including the police commissioner and judge. But Gordon sacrifices himself to save the mayor. Joker threatens that his attacks will continue until Batman unmasks, and he later targets Dent at a fundraising dinner and throws Rachel out of a window, but Batman rescues her. Wayne struggles to understand the Joker's motives, but his butler, Alfred Pennyworth, surmises that some people simply want to see the world burn. What are we saying about the meeting between the crime lords? Absolutely loved every second of that scene. That's a great scene. To me, that's the Joker's real entrance. Yeah. Yeah. The control he has over the room. Mm-hmm. A nice factoid for me is uh, the Chechen um, is played by a guy called Richie Costa, uh, who is British, puts on a very convincing um, oh, Slavic accent, and uh, he's actually from my neck of the woods, Enfield. Oh wow! There you go. Yeah, he's my favorite character now. Uh, Gamble, played by a favorite of ours, Michael J. White, yeah. Mr. Lau. Right? He's the mob's accountant. He has the power of precognition because. None of them saw this coming except him. Absolutely. He, he went and moved their money <laughs> without asking any of them as well. I'd be like, yo, it's a good thing you're on a plane. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. <what> Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I know that the magic trick is Ian's favorite. Absolutely. It's incredible. It, it's a good hint, actually, for later that the Joker can more than take care of himself in a scrap. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's the whole point. And that's, what, that's always been a theme with the Joker as well, himself. If you, look, if you look him up, it literally actually says that he's actually an expert martial artist. He just doesn't look it. Or yeah. doesn't seem it. And that's the whole point. And he um, does go toe-to-toe with Batman quite a few times. Well, I'm thinking more like when he's in the cell with that stupid police officer who decides to engage him physically. Oh, absolutely. It's like, nah, you're going to get fucked up. And, absolutely. Um, then the, he also says, I know the squealers when I see them. And he points yeah, at exactly. Lau and he makes them squeal. It's yeah, ab- <laughs> absolutely that. Absolutely. Everything yeah. he says is uh, is true. Um, yeah. Especially the phrase, if you're good at something, never do it for never free. Do it for free. Oh, that's such a line. Do you know what? It's, it's controlling the room. Maybe, yeah. Because he doesn't give a fuck about money. So, he, again, he's, he's saying to them all exactly what they would all agree with. They're yeah. like, yeah, he's right. That makes absolute sense. Even though it doesn't match what I would presume he's actual, you know, real one. I think the only person he's ever honest with is Batman. Mm, to I some agree. Degree. At the yeah, end of the yeah. film. Obviously not when he's tricking Batman. But. Yeah. Well, spoiler alert, we'll get there. Uh, I thought he, I thought Anton's favourite line would have been when they say, uh, how much? And he goes, half. <laughs> like, half. <laughs> half. <laughs> half, Eddie. <laughs> what have you done for me lately? <laughs> suck, suck my dick, Mr. Funny Man. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh. 
That's so well done. There's, there's also a bit in the scene that I, I, I don't know if I'm getting it right. I've asked Ian about this over the years. But when the when they say to the Joker, you're, uh, you're a freak. No, when he says you're crazy and he goes, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I feel like he is mouthing it again after he says it without without sound. He does. That's fucking comes brilliant. Up, comes up on uh, subtitles twice. So. That is wow. that is totally Heath Ledger doing that. Yeah. yeah, there's loads of stuff that Heath Ledger did in that film that just you know there's a scene the scene with uh, I don't know Eckhart that he does in the, in the when he grabs his hand. Yeah, you know when he grabs his hand. So the reaction from Aaron Eckhart isn't uh, wasn't meant to be that. So he basically walks around. Heath Ledger walks around in the scene and starts talking to himself. And Aaron, Aaron Eckhart looks at him like, what the hell is going on? And he does it for about 10 minutes. And he's like, are we still filming? So he doesn't realize. So he just, kinda, he just stays in his bed. All of a sudden, he's like muttering to himself. And then he just comes at Aaron Eckhart. And Aaron Eckhart throws his hands up to protect himself. Heath Ledger does the exact same thing and then grabs his hands. Mm. And then they put it in the film. And then and, and after they're doing that, Aaron, and Heath Ledger goes to him, see, that's acting. And it's just like... Wow. As in, like, he wanted a genuine reaction. Uh, another kind of factoid as well, similar to that, was when um, Michael Caine talks about Heath Ledger's Joker and how he knew instantly it would be arguably better than Jack Nicholson's and definitely separated as well. Because you know the scene... So you know you don't see Alfred in the fundraiser after that. Mm. Pretty much pretty much unseen. You don't really know where he goes. But he said... When Heath Ledger comes into that bit, and because it was one of the first times he saw he saw Heath Ledger and kind of saw him do his lines, he said he, he scared him so much. Michael Caine forgot his lines. Oh wow! I was like, Jesus! Imagine, imagine, imagine putting off a, an actor an actress who's so when you make a veteran who is literally practically playing himself, as we said, forget his lines. I think in this scene we really get the meat and potatoes of what has been set up thus far. You know, the mob—they're running scared. They. They eventually end up turning to the Joker, who they don't understand. Uh, Bruce can't comprehend the philosophy of the Joker because he refuses to accept that he had a hand in creating the Joker. Um, I mean, the Joker wants chaos. He wants anarchy, right? He want, uh, yeah. But then suddenly he wants Batman. Um, he says he wants, you know, chaos and anarchy and he doesn't have a plan, but he definitely wants Batman. And you can, you can smell... That there's a Batman, there's a 1989 Tim Burton Batman ness here, where the Joker gets sidetracked, but from his main goal by obsessing over who Batman really is. There's a there's a big plot line which is kind of convoluted. Uh, I had to, it took me a couple of viewings originally to understand everything that was going on, but it's at Wayne Enterprises, right? Bruce is running a gambit on a company called uh, LSI. Um, he suspects that the CEO Lau is the accountant for the Gotham Crime Syndicate. Um, how does he know this? Because they found out that LSI's growth has been 8% annually. 8%, yeah. Is that really so uncommon for a Chinese company of that size? Does it really indicate he's a mob accountant? Well, it's more the fact, it's more the fact that it's been 8%, uh, 8% but like clockwork, as in they have never not gone down from that. And obviously, you know, how business works, things go up, things go down, things, there's, there's major increases, major decreases, stuff like that. There's just been a step increment, like, which does you, you rarely see in business. So, I'm assuming, like, and again, like I said, there's, there's so much bollocks that, we, that it probably is, is in the <laughs> film that we can just allow to let go, which we, which we just let go because the film's great, but 
I mean, I'm assuming, like I said, you'd see that. And again, if, if you come from Gotham, <laughs> where you literally cram your way up oh. to anything, you see shit like that, you're like, yo, I know what Dodgy looks like. I'm from <laughs> Gotham. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Bruce Wayne has that scene with Lucius where, uh, you know, Lucius says, I don't think we had any government contracts. And Bruce says, oh, I'm playing this pretty close to the chest, right? If I'm Lucius, I'm like, fuck you. I'm running your empire single-handedly while you are literally spending your nights beating down criminals with your bare hands. I'm the only person in your life who is not your adoptive father figure or love interest to know you are Batman. And you're playing your hands close to your chest? Fuck off. Also, though, wasn't that the reason they got caught? Because I don't think Lucius slipped up with the bookings. I reckon it was Bruce who started fucking with it. And then that other guy finds the discrepancies? No. Lucius got... Yeah, because the, the guy finds the discrepancies and goes to Lucius, and then Lucius goes to Bruce, and he's like, so what's the deal with this? I didn't think we had any government contracts. Um, no, so it's, more, so it's more the fact that, I mean, Lucius, I think Lucius is more of the, of the, of the mindset that if this guy is shifting funds for a particular reason, there's got to be something to it. I mean, at the end of the day, he's Batman, so there's probably a good reason. Yeah, but Ian's... With Ian's with Ian's point, yeah, with Ian's point about the actual thing, he what he Reese actually found that out from when he said, uh, from when uh, Lucius said, go and do the due diligence again. So then he went in, and that's the only the only reason he found out was because he went into he basically went back in to do the due diligence when looking to the LSI deal and noticed that oh, there's loads of money going into R and D, and it happens to be the Tumblr, and there's all these things going on as well. And that's I think that's that's when he found it out. Yeah, but that's surely Fox's fault because. How is he able to pull those files? R&D is off the books. Mm, Why would yeah. you leave them in the company archives? This, yeah. this is why it isn't Lucius's fault. It's Bruce's. Because Bruce started funding, building that uh, mobile sonar device. And that's why Lucius... That's, to me, why Lucius ends up going to Bruce and be like, I didn't think we had any government contact. Like, he already knew... No, that no. Coleman was. Reese shows him the Tumblr, right? And the, t the Tumblr was already designed... It's already a thing. So why should that be in public in the public domain that uh, a lowly you know accountant can? Or, or, so I don't think I don't. It, won't, it definitely won't be in public domain, but it will be in the company's finances, or at least. He had the original finance. schematics. I just think that's bollocks. Right, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know how he got to those documents, but that's what I mean. When it comes to the the threads of why they got caught to me are from Bruce starting to do his own. Thing. Yeah. Whereas Lucius, to me, potentially, yeah. keep a cap on it. Yeah, so, potentially. That's how I took all that. I don't understand how. Um, I understand that while. You know, it turns out Wayne Enterprises is producing this weaponry, right, uh, for a wanted vigilante. That is blackmail material, no doubt. But why does Reese automatically then jump to the conclusion, no matter how fucking spot on he is, that Batman is the CEO of Wayne Enterprises? I think it's just more the case that it's like who who else could it be? That's a big I mean, leap. I think, but it's, it's but but when you think about it, it's like generally who else who else could it be? The only person who has access to all that money and can literally do whatever the hell they yeah, want. Yeah, they're funding they're, Batman. They're funding him, and that is blackmail material. But why does it make Bruce Batman? Well, See, I, I, also that's the thing. I don't. Meetings, Bruce is yeah. In the meetings, he's, like <laughs> yeah, it's not like I, he doesn't interact with Bruce. By the way, one of the uh, board members, uh, the older guy, um, his name is Patrick Leahy, and he's a U.S. senator, the longest-running, long, the longest-serving U.S. senator, senator 
in the US at the minute, a lifelong Batman fan. He was in Batman Forever. Wow. He's been in Batman Forever. He voiced a character in the animated series. He was wow. in he was in Dark Knight Rises as the board member again. He was in Batman vs Superman. Fucking loves comic books. I want this wow. guy representing my state. Wow. That is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Literally loving Batman so much you just end up getting the feel. That's brilliant. Another in, in, intertwining plot while we're getting all the, the plot threads is um, you know these meetings between Gordon, Harvey, and Batman. Um, Harvey is desperate for Gordon's trust, right? And he grants him a shit ton of warrants that would never, ever fly in real life. But uh, anyway, this you know, the, the money has mysteriously disappeared. What must Batman be thinking here on this rooftop, listening to these guys bitch and moan about who has the more corrupt inner circle? <laughs> <laughs> this is why I work alone. But he's like, none of, I, I have three people, none of them have betrayed me. You, you guys are literally playing tit for tat. You know, he's like, oh, I had your guy done for a racketeering beat. Oh, well, you know, Maroney's got guys in your office. They're like, no one wins this argument, guys. You're both fucking idiots. <laughs> so true. Because you're sitting there with with scum like Warts and, Mir- uh, and yeah. Warts and, uh, and Ramirez, and it's like, what? hold on, that's the funny thing. That's a very good point. He says you're sitting there with Warts and Ramirez, right? Which, yeah. when you think about it, why was it then such a massive surprise that Ramirez would be the person involved at the end? Only it was only a massive. Fucked him. Yeah, they're the ones that got Harvey and got um, Rachel. That's the main thing. He literally says, you're sitting there with scum like Watson and Ramirez. Yeah, that's why he's blaming um, Gordon at the end. But, spoiler. Uh, We'll get to that. Do you... um, There's this this gadget time moment, right? Where Bruce has his James Bond thing with Fox playing the role of Q down in the uh, Applied Sciences division, right? Mm. First thing that struck me watching it this time around, this department is off the books. It is immaculately clean for such a massive space. Absolutely. Loads of desks. No one works down there, though. Is Fox getting out his feather duster and keeping the dust bunnies out of town by himself? Like, how many people need to know about this division to keep it running? (laughs) Not that many, apparently. Not that many. But, of course, he's paid well to do just that. (laughs) Well, yeah, this is where we start learning a bit more about... um, you know, Batman's suit uh, and the alterations. They go through the modifications to the Batsuit. Uh, obviously, he's covered in Kevlar. Uh, now, Kevlar, as we know, is not a magic force field. It can still cause fatal injuries, um, internal injuries. Um, Batman's is triple-weaved in titanium. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, it's never really clear if the cowl is Kev- is also Kevlar, but anyway, it, it that the, the cowl looks way more rubbery, but I'm just thinking, with all that fucking shit, how much is that bat suit worth? Oh mate, it doesn't. It doesn't matter how much it's worth. That's the whole point. It's that like that. Only God knows how much. I mean, you, you said it yourself. The the amount of public destruction alone <laughs> when Batman saves the day. Who cares? It doesn't matter. It's Wayne. Wayne money doesn't run out. Yeah. <laughs> Wayne money is is the money. But am I right? Was was this all in aid so that he could turn his head? He wanted extra dexterity, so they had to weaken the suit by spreading out the plates. Pretty much. So it's it's it was it was more the fact that he had more mobility, more movement, more agileness. And funny enough, the whole fighting style that they came up with for this Kezi, um, which funny enough, two stuntmen 
uh, came up with for, for the Batman Begins and then kind of enhanced it more as well for this. Um, because it's the reason why Bale wasn't as big in this particular film as well. Because they were gonna, they wanted to um, accentuate more of his movements, and therefore kind of partitioned more of the of the suits so that he could move a lot more, was a lot more agile, and he could, could actually move a lot more. He didn't need to be as big or as buff to fill out the kind of suit in the original, which was pretty much just all kind of one big piece. Um, so the plates, and that was, and it made sense as well when Fox said, "Oh, we have enforced these plates." But because they're all in sections, there are basically parts where they just don't connect. So it makes you more susceptible to things like stab wounds. And oh, my, my fucking God. When when Bruce Wayne said, oh, we wouldn't want things to get too easy now, would we? I was expecting him to turn to the camera. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That's such a fucking upping of the stakes. They're like, yeah, we, yeah. it's like Superman. It's like, look, nothing can hurt him. So let's create something that can hurt him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, there's that quick Easter egg, if you noticed in the chat about the new bat suit design, where he says um, it should do fine against cats. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, yes. Very good was... point. Very good point. I didn't even realize. Yeah, that's yeah. foreshadowing the Dark Knight Rises, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I love all the tech stuff. Um, and this is all leading, you know, this is all leading to Lao, the, you know, Operation Get the Lao, Get Lao the fuck out of China. Um, either way, it turns out, you know, Batman was right. Lao is the mob's accountant, so fuck my ass, you know. <laughs> With help from... Uh, actually, t- tell me this, right? Th- th- this sonar thing, he's... What makes them be able to, to get back into the plane? Is it like a, 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 son- a, a, like a sound wave? So it turns out, of all the Batman Super Saiyan gibberish that was in the film... The only thing that was real, that is 100% existed and was actually a project from the, fi- from the 60s, as Lucius Fox said, is that actual thing. That is a real, real Sorry. thing that actually happened in 1958. In 1958, it was the project. I can't remember the name of the project. Give me two seconds. I will get that back up. But it turns out it was actually a real project. Really? Um, created, by, for the, created for the CIA in 1958, where they basically <laughs> flew this balloon up the plane catches the balloon and then reels the person in and apparently it's actually nowhere near as violent as they showed it in the um really in the film and honestly it's actually less violent it's less violent than releasing a parachute uh, when you drop out of a plane 100 percent real 100 percent real zero for like 140 miles per hour i was like they probably gave up because they were like yanking people's necks off (laughs) (laughs) because they are flailing about in the film it is not smooth wow I mean, sorry for jumping ahead. Um, I mean, first of all, they have to get to Hong Kong, and I'm thinking it's not really a foolproof plan, absconding with the entire Russian ballet, because under oath, they'll be like, did Bruce Wayne ever leave the boat at any point? (laughs) I did not understand. Again, more bollocks, but I'm okay with it because the film is perfect. But literally, Bruce Wayne jumps off off, off a plane with a massive bag, uh, jumps off a boat, sorry, (laughs) on a massive bag, then gets in some random plane and flies away. Now, let's face it, the amount of money he has and the amount of stuff he's paying for, you probably wouldn't give a shit. But you would just blatantly be like, yeah, I saw Bruce yeah. <laughs> in that plane. Yeah. I do. <laughs> yeah, I... F- Go on. Sorry, you going to say? I was going to say, I found the info about the Skyhook. Yeah, so the Skyhook device um, was actually created. So it's called the Fulton Surface to Air Recovery System. It was developed in the 1950s by inventor Robert Edison Fulton Jr. for the CIA. 
and said the first pickup of a human happened in 1958. And yet, apparently, there was less violence than opening a parachute. Wait, wait. Are you, so you're saying that you the plane didn't have to be on the ground? <laughs> Seemingly not. It's a move. It was a moving. Pl- that is ridiculous. Well, I guess it would be because it would be because enemy because you couldn't land in enemy territory if you had to get yeah. your people out. It, make, it makes sense. I mean, I'm sure they do stuff like it now where um, you connect a rope, but I'm pretty sure it's a helicopter. I can't imagine it's. Oh my God! There are pictures. There are videos. Stop <laughs> it! There are videos. Please find the link in our <laughs> in our non-existent Instagram account. <laughs> Oh, there are actual videos. Mm. That's sick. CIA Skyhook. Yeah. Wow. Fulton surface to air recovery. So Lucius Fox is full of shit. It wasn't his idea at all. <laughs> he thought he actually did actually reference the fact he that did it was. He it in the film. He did actually reference it. Because I, I remember when he said, oh, something developed in the 60s. I was like, what? Really? Yeah, but he seems to have modified it, but we can't really figure out how. Hmm. Right, probably by modifying we have it work so it doesn't kill the person. It's <laughs> the floor. Oh my god, they did it with sheep. No fucking way! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Oh wow! No way! I'm, I'm, I wow! To, I'm, I'm Just put in CIA after. skyhook. No, I will after this. <laughs> I don't want to get sidetracked. <laughs> Oh, I feel so bad for that sheep. <laughs> wow. Um, okay. One thing, one detail, I, I, I love the way how, even though there's a lot of bollocks in the film, there is a lot of details that they think of, right? How, how do you get in and out of China with a hostage? Uh, well, they thought about it. South Korean smugglers. South Korean smugglers, absolutely. It, it's the little things that going the extra mile to fill in the backstory, yeah. the details. Yeah. They, you know, they... You know, you don't need to know every... There's an old saying, right, in, in writing. The audience don't need to know every detail or piece of backstory that's going on, but you, the writer, does. Does, absolutely. And absolutely. so it was just it was just a really nice little throwaway bit where I'm just like, oh, okay, so they have thought about it. Um, so uh, I, I nearly called bollocks at this point. Oh, I, I, put that bollocks I, card I, I away. <laughs> I, I pay away because I was like, there's no way you could get some, it's like, to show up with that kind of timing would be absolute, like, another level. But then I remembered that with great amounts of money comes great responsibility. And who's going to at the right time for the right absolutely, price? So, absolutely. Uh, yeah. You pay people enough, they will do that shit. It will be, like, to the second if the money is insane. Of course they would. So, of course yeah. they would. Absolutely. I thought you were going to call bollocks on the fact that he's standing on the top of that tower and there's no wind at all. Uh, he's standing at the side of it, I believe. They, they blow the window out and he gets, like, yanked off the side of it. Uh, what, when he, no, when he starts and he puts on the... When you when that scene starts and they're doing oh, the when overhead he, when shot... He shoots, when he shoots the explosives, you mean? Yeah, he's definitely yeah, 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 at the top. Right, okay. And he there is no wind at all. So it's funny because there's actually a picture of Bale stood on top of the uh, building with all these, like, wearing the suit. Um, obviously holding that particular gun with all these people stood next to him as well and it's like yo so fair enough obviously it wasn't that like particularly for that scene but someone someone stood there someone stood there that's that shit's mm. crazy because a lot of the stunts were actually a lot of stunts in this were as much as they could be were practical um, even down to the flipping of the 18 wheel lorry you know where he rides the bat the bat cycle underneath and then flips that, the truck mm. all hunt all actually done yeah Nolan didn't he, yeah, yeah. he was a grafter wasn't he yeah 
Um, this plan to extract Ya uh, Lao is is dog shit, by the way. For, for, Lucius goes into um, the tower to meet with Lao with two cell phones. Brilliant, because no one could have possibly have two cell phones, right? <laughs> then the guard sees him on the way out and gives him his cell phone back, and all Fox does is flash him as the second phone. Second phone. Yep. And it's the only thing that the guy needs. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, it's the only phone in your box! Yeah, absolutely. There's yeah, only... It's also... It's Lucius Fox. He's fucking Lucius Fox. No, that's bollocks. Oh, I'm so tempted. I'm so tempted to whip out a bollocks card. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought so. And they actually put a lot of time after him leaving in that triggering. Because I was like, well, clearly it's Lucius Fox that's done all this. But no, it's, uh, you know. The guy puts the one phone he had back in the little, you know, lost and found box and doesn't give it a second thought i it's i'm sorry but like there's an idiot plot device it's like if if the guard had any he'd be like hold on hold on i know you gave me this phone yeah but if elon musk gave you a phone going into a building and then on the way out he's like no i've got my phone that's not when you'd be like no 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 this is definitely your phone elon like don't i i mean at the end of each day do they leave unaccounted for phones just willy-nilly in the foyer i'm just i mean Uh, it's one of them plot holes but i'm just gonna keep going back to the fact that the film's perfect so we're just gonna allow it (laughs) it's true i I was really i was really close i had my hand in my pocket oh there are so there are literally there's so much bollocks in the film but didn't the phone create the sonar area and it wasn't just the one phone that like showed the whole building right well it it triangulated the entry point no, that's it, what I mean. It was, all it needed to do was be there and trigger, and then it's like, right, we've now. Yeah, so that's the most important part. If it wasn't there, it wouldn't have triggered. It seemed, it seemed yeah, like what the phone I mean is it more, need to stay there. It seemed to like the phone, the, the phone was more like an EMP, because that's the funny thing. They talk about all the sonar, and they, and they obviously make a whole joke as well, where they're just like, um, oh, sonar, just like a. And then you're submarine. submarine. <laughs> That's brilliant. Like, what the? And I was just like, what? Oh, okay. <laughs> He's like, did he seriously just say submarine? But yeah, obviously that was the whole point of mm. that particular line. But it's funny because they, t- they talk about Sona and obviously they're, they're giving you an idea of what's coming with that system, that ridiculous system where it's just like, oh my God, that's it. You can literally see um, Batman, which is seemed unethical. Mate, all of Gotham is unethical. So I don't, I don't see what the issue was personally myself. Um, mm. But it all ended up in the phone just ended up being an EMP. It took out the power in the freaking building. So who gives a shit if it's sonar? That thing's a fucking EMP. <laughs> well, regardless, they get Lau. They bring him back to America. Leaves him. I, I mean, stupidly leaves him outside the precinct for anyone to kill him or shoot him or whatever. Right. That, <laughs> that was people for me that forgot he was a lieutenant and not commissioner so right. that was actually a, a very nice way to remind people his title harvey dent is interrogating lao back in gotham and lao plans to give you know harvey the mobsters but he keeps their money how is that going to work he wants immunity protection and a plane back to hong kong bitch you just got kidnapped from hong kong i know where you thought you'd be safe and now take me back now you're gonna now you're gonna abscond with all the mob's money and think that they can't get you out of hong kong yeah exactly that exactly that am i wrong is that what the 
you said I'll give you. I won't give you the money, but I'll give you my clients. Well, I'm. I'm assuming he means that by the time he gives them the clients, they're all going to be in jail anyway, so it wouldn't really matter. Only for eighteen months. God. He's got eighteen months to get the best plastic surgery he's ever he's ever seen. <laughs> well, they have all the mob's money, so there's mm. no problem, is it? <laughs> it was something like what was it five? I I can't remember, but it was something like over five hundred criminals. His testimony was able to yeah. to round up, which is ridiculous. Oh, it's like eight hundred, if I remember correctly. There he's go. he's so got enough. 12 counts of extortion, 849 counts of racketeering. Yeah, but I mean, the, it was yeah, the but people. Counts that was 50 yeah. counts of fraud, 87 <laughs> counts of conspiracy. It's crazy. Racketeering is pretty big in Gotham City. Racketeering is a pretty broad term, you know, it's anything that's corruptible. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but he had enough dirt on each of them for all these counts, yeah. which is saying something. Um, and it's interesting because they know that these mob guys... Um, well, you said it earlier, didn't you, that you know in 18 months they'll be out. But I think it speaks a lot to Harvey Dent's uh, passion and his his positive disposition that he's excited about having 18 months. You know, yeah. you attack the yeah. infrastructure, you can attack the mob infrastructure with those 18 months. There will be no repercussions for us. We can go in there and do what we want. It's like giving someone 10 minutes to go into your house and hide a turd. They'll never find it. <laughs> do you think, do you think that's not, do you think it's, he, it's he's being fanciful, like with 18 months? In this case, this is Gotham, a completely different place. The guy that was trying to, or that almost was going to testify against Salvatore Neroni was then going to shoot Harvey Dent. In, open, in broad daylight, so hopeful. Hopeful is the word. Again, like maybe it does speak to Dent's character more than anything else. This, the whole first half an hour of the film has singled out one important thing. What does fucking Gordon really get from this job? He, <laughs> he, he never sees his family. No one is loyal to him. He's forced to work with vigilantes <laughs> uh, and pander to a district attorney that he doesn't trust. Get out of Gotham. You're too good for it. There's a reason why he's now commissioner. <laughs> well, no, fuck <laughs> off. He's only... The only reason he has that role is because he's not dead. And that's the... <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the only reason Absolutely. he'll stay in that role. Absolutely. 100%. Get out of Gotham, mate. You know, you're running an asylum of depravity and corruption. You're not living, you're not living the American dream. You're not fighting the good fight. You're a, being, you're a victim of being in an untenable job in an unwinnable fight. Every victory is a spheric one. Get the fuck out now. It literally is the point where he has to he has to fake his entire death and then tell his family that he's dead just just so he can Seriously. carry out his, his regular ass day job. <laughs> no wonder his wife left him in the third one. Oh fuck it up. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> it's a, it's kind of when you think about it like that. It's like yo, what the hell is <laughs> Commissioner Gordon? He's he's a, he's the real hero. <laughs> well, he is though. He's the only character in this entire film that doesn't have his own self-interests in mind. As in, Harvey Dent, yes, Harvey Dent does care about Gotham and he wants it to be a, a safe place, but Harvey Dent is all also about Harvey Dent. You know, we believe in, yeah. I believe in Harvey Dent. Batman has his own, as we'll, you know, we've mentioned and will continue to talk about, has his own reasons for doing things. The Joker has his own reasons, which is chaos. Whereas Harvey Dent just wants to protect people. Well, I'm sorry, not Harvey Dent, sorry. Um, Gordon just wants to protect yeah. people. And I'm sorry, Gordon, this city is not worth saving. It's fucked. It really isn't. Get it out. Really, it doesn't deserve him. Yeah. <laughs> I love this film. Um, <laughs> so, so things really ramp up, uh, you know, with the fundraiser, which is probably one of my favourite scenes in the whole film. 
Yeah, it is. It is. It's. It's brilliant. It just Heath Ledger kind of really showed what it was like. I mean, there's a bit where incredible bit where, and it almost kind of echoes the whole "I'm not crazy" thing, where he takes the drink, the wine, and almost intentionally throws out the whole wine. Does the motion of drinking, but then doesn't drink. So he's like, I'm not even under the influence. Bro, I mean, that's my favorite. That that's my favorite Joker moment in the entire oh, film. Unbelievable! It's just like he throws the drink purpose. out first and then <laughs> takes and the sip. Like it's just, it's just that whole. There's so much intention to what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing, and it's and it's purposely not the norm. Do you know what I mean? Oh. It's like I will show you the fallacy of your society and civilization. <laughs> uh, uh, Freaking brilliant. Then he's um he's combing his hair with his knife. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. Oh god, the the things that Heath Ledger is doing that I, I you cannot it cannot be written. I've not, I've read the script. It's not. It says Joker interacts menacingly with party guests. You know, this is either Nolan and Heath collaborating or Heath mm. on, an, on another level. It's absolutely yeah. brilliant. Well, we all, know, we all know the effort that he went into. Literally well, it killed him. In the room for, for months and then... It fucking killed him. Oh, man. Um, Crazy. But this, this, the, one of the reasons why this fundraiser is a big scene for me is because it's, it starts my um, decline in liking Rachel. Why does Rachel think Bruce was making fun of Harvey? One of my big P points. When she comes like, I, I know you better than anyone here. And I know when you're making fun of him. And it's like, he's like, yeah, I'm not. It's like, okay. <laughs> Just, it, 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 it ends so quickly as well. Does she think so little of Bruce to believe that he held this huge party and went to all this expense just to be little Harvey in the hope that he would win, it would win him points with Rachel, who'd be the only one that would know that? Yeah, it's also the fact that, it's also the fact that she understood, she, of any, more than anyone else, should understand the difference. Um... The Joker crashes the party, where, you know, he has his own personal uh, score, and it, it's just white noise. It's just scratching and buzzing sounds. It's like what you might hear if you're being tortured by way of sensory deprivation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I remember correctly, it builds into more of a, of a music and kind of like a... a, a like, a, I don't know how to describe it. It's almost like... It's almost like a, imagine if you had... This is going to sound very crazy because I don't understand. It. It almost like you beat a drum, but you did it with horns kind of thing. If you remember, because any time he talks about the scars, it's like silence. And then he gives it and there's like more, it builds up, like it builds up to... It's definitely building to a crescendo. Point. It gets yeah, sharper, yeah. but it doesn't get any more yeah. musical. To me, it gets more uncomfortable. Yeah, I need to watch it. I need to watch it. I have to watch it again. Let's choose for those scenes. But I, I, I love the fact that as well, again... Keeping with the homage of, of not knowing who the Joker, what the Joker's past is, um, and the fact that these stories are almost kind of like, is he is he making them up, or is this literally the st part of the things that kind of made him the person who he is? And it's almost the fact that, regardless of where it sits, you can under you can understand why he'd be the person he is if that was true. You're saying one of those lies might be true, or yeah. one of those or, statements. Or, yeah, exactly that. Or even they're all part of the things that the experience that he's had in his life that has brought him to that particular point. Mm. It's freaking. It's just. It's brilliant. It's just. It really. Personally, it's like giving an. It's like giving an origin story without giving an origin story. I think it's bollocks. I think he sliced his own uh, mouth to desecrate his own flesh as part of this ritual where he stopped becoming being whoever he was and became uh, the Joker. You know, like mm. 
he became an idea of some mm. bollocks. Um, trailer dialogue, um, he says, ah, a little fight in ya. I like that. I like that. <laughs> then you're going to love me. That's written for the trailer. Brilliant. Absolutely. Brilliant line. Absolutely. Um, everyone talks about how stupid it is when Batman jumps out that jumps out the building to save Rachel and somehow she's not a bag of bones or neither of them yeah. are a bag of bones when that it's like that it's not a force field that you're wearing it's just Kevlar yeah. but it's 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 also the fact that the, it's, it's meant to be his um similar to uh when he like when he jumped down he, he uses his cape to slow himself down because the cape is has Kevlar weave in it or something like that. Oh, it? man, it looked like they hit that car. I mean, they, the car was oh, yeah, totally... I mean, obviously, um, obviously, they did hit the car pretty hard, 100%. She, Rachel, more than anything, she definitely felt that, probably more than uh, be dead. Batman did. But, um, yeah, the whole point was he meant he slowed himself down with uh, with the cape. At least that's what we're meant to assume. Right. I, I think it's also... It cuts to a completely brand new day. I'm thinking the Joker's still up there with all those party I, guests. I, 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 was, for, I was just, you know, that, that was the one. That was the one part of the film where I was just like, "Whoa, we just, we just gonna leave this?" Like, okay, cool. And see, <laughs> just, just like, what the hell? We're done. Did he, was, did he I, just leave quietly? I genuinely I, reckon there was so much of that. Just a lot of that was cut out, as in that lot of extra part of that was cut out. It must have been. I truly loved how quickly Bruce Wayne choked out. Um, Harvey Dent yeah. makes him unconscious instantly because he's like well here you go out and confront the Joker without you know without batting an eyelid so he's like can't happen I'll choke him out <laughs> hide him in the cupboard and that's the thing though there is a there is an unconscious and vulnerable Harvey Dent somewhere on that floor Absolutely. the Joker knows that he's there it's a fucking benefit for him uh, yet somehow everyone's fine the next day pretty much pretty much it, it was it was such a weird end where it's just like Where's the rest? Do you know what yeah. I mean? I, I guarantee they probably edited quite a bit of that out. Yeah. The, you know, after that, you, you know, you get a moment of um, reflection, which is nice because the pace has been insane. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think uh, it, Jonathan Nolan, who's uh, Chris Nolan's um, brother, who brother. wrote, wrote yeah. the script, he really enjoyed having Alfred to write for this time round. Alfred's mm. dialogue delivered brilliantly by MC, right? Yeah. Is 95% epic old world wisdom that sounds yeah, cool no matter really. how old you are. Yeah, exactly. You know, some men just want to watch the world burn. You know, the bandit in Burma story, when he comes back into it later, when Wayne asks yeah. him how they finally uh, caught him, yeah. we burnt the forest down. We burnt down. the forest down. Yeah, we burnt down the forest. That's uh, like, yo. Yeah. Uh, sacrificed you, everything. Well, I used to think that line just meant you'll have to tear Gotham down to find the Joker, mm. but I realise now using the word burn in both those stories or both those sentences is intentional. It's fighting fire literally with fire. With fire, absolutely. To, to defeat your enemy, you are going to have to think and perhaps behave like the enemy. Exactly that. And, and Batman does, uh, as we as we come to see later. As we know, the, the police commissioner uh, is dead, and so they're holding a funeral for the police commissioner. Um, you know, because the Joker killed the, him and the judge, who was either ballsy or dumb enough, depending on how you see things, to try these criminals. Um, we're immediately met with unease. And why? Well, because of where they chose to have the fucking memorial. 
Gordon, you could tell by his face, he's frustrated by how many windows there are. Yeah. And damn right, people are getting blown away left, right, and center. This is happening in an unsecurable area. Fuck the state funeral. Keep the body in the fridge for a while longer and try and find this madman who is on the loose killing public officials. Don't have the highest ranking city official up on a podium (laughs) in a sharpshooter's wet dream paradise. (laughs) At one point, at one point, one of the shooters, one of the police shooters goes, "Um, I don't know, there's kind of a lot of of windows around here. (laughs) He actually just blatantly says that to Gordon. He's like, I know, there's kind of a lot of uh, windows around here. Oh, freaking brilliant. <laughs> what I love as well is 15 feet away from the commissioner is just the Joker with huge scars on his yeah. face. Yeah, just... yeah, yeah. Those state troopers would know each other. Well, you know, they got all of them. Oh, you mean the other ones? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Lieutenant Gordon uh, yeah, sac- seemingly sacrifices himself. Somehow he knew that it was going to happen at that very moment. There's that small subplot with the former Arkham inmate who the Joker coerces into somehow getting involved. Um, you know, this is David... Uh, I, you know, I've never been able to pronounce his last name. I think it's Dast Maushin. Um This was his first movie role. He later became uh, Polka Dot Man in the Suicide Squad. Yes, he did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. what a weird-looking dude. I, I thought, why are they bringing this guy into it? It seems like a really odd subplot, a really random one, but it's obviously incredibly important because this is where we start to realise that when Harvey Dent abducts this guy and interrogates him, we realise that not everything is as it seems in Harvey's psyche. How does Harvey Dent love the law and yet he can't help but break it all the time? I think that's the whole point. That's the whole point of the fact that underneath, underneath it all, he there's there's that there's that underlying frustration with it. Stay off the fucking set, man. For fuck's sake. The film is actually about Harvey Dent, where. Batman doesn't actually make a massive journey, so it apparently doesn't make too much of a journey or uh, an evolution within the film. He's still pretty much the same Batman that we saw from the beginning. Yes, he sees an out now, but the whole point is Harvey Dent is the victim between these two, and it's a case of one, Batman is seeing him as the solution to all of Gotham's problems, and Joker sees him as the perfect person to corrupt to evidence what is the issue with society and Gotham in itself? So he pretty much is feeling the, the, the push and pull from these sides consistently. Sure. He's the victim of that. Hence, literally getting to the point where he splits who he is and has to actually flip a coin to decide who he's going to be at that particular point in time. It shows you what becomes of him when you threaten someone he loves or cares about. Exactly that, yeah. 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 Which which does show a little bit less of the balanced Harvey that we've seen previously. Yeah, yeah. Is there such thing as too much when it comes to superheroes fighting their way through industrial techno nightclubs? <laughs> Love every second of it. I mean, if not, the Batman 2022 gives you plenty of that. But... Absolutely, absolutely. It's funny because it literally is. It, it's crazy how much it mirrored that to the point where, not only did I forget that he did that, I actually wonder whether or not this, the the new Batman was almost kind of uh, a homage to that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's actually crazy. I was like, what the hell? I didn't. I literally didn't re- re- realize that. It always happens in, in so many films. Even The Matrix yeah. manages to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blade, literally everything. Have you ever been to a club like that, Industrial Techno? 
I can't, I can't see how to do it, but if it means I'm going to see it. Not the dome, you prick. Just <laughs> <laughs> the, the other one, electric factory or whatever. Electric ballroom. Electric ballroom. That was not industrial. You're, are you, it, th they played Green Day in Blink-182. Seriously, man, you and me, we're fucking done professionally. What about factory? What about factory? Uh, FAC. Oh uh, yeah, factory. Yeah. Yeah. What about that? I mean, if it means that I'm gonna see a superhero walk through and beat the shit out of people, then I'm gonna. I'll start going. I, don't give a fuck. Uh, <laughs> I used to uh, go to the library to pick up chicks. What can I say? <laughs> I mean, where, where was that club? <laughs> <laughs> well, as we're speaking about the dynamic of human relationships, this is where I start to call bullshit. Not on the film but on Rachel as a whole, all right? Mm. I, I actually didn't remember that they kissed in his penthouse. Yep. Didn't remember that. She yep. says to him, in no uncertain terms, if you unmask, they'll never let us be together. Yeah. And then Harvey takes the fall. Suddenly, she loves Harvey. I mean, did she write that letter after hearing the news that Bruce yeah. let Harvey take the fall? Rachel has a thing for unavailable men, and the fact is, <laughs> Harvey Harvey is just another Bruce, right down to having a split personality. At least, <laughs> at, at, at least Bruce is trying to give Rachel what she wants, but Harvey yeah. is consistently brushing her off, using cutesy sleights of hand to get off from the actual confronting their issues with his stupid coin. He's mansplaining shit to her all the time, and yet... All of a sudden, she's like, I want to marry Harvey. To me, I don't think she was ever really that into Bruce in this film. She, but she says to him, like, she kisses him and says, they'll never let us be together if you take the mask off. I, at this point, he's friend-zoned, I think. I, for me, I'm kind of with you on that one. I don't ever think, like, when they kiss and it's like, and I don't know if maybe it's because they changed the, they changed the actress so you don't see them together, if that makes sense. You don't see it in your head. Um, but then at the same time, you just kind of get that impression. Like when she said that, she's like, I was 100% serious. I was like, well, if you're so 100% serious, why the hell are you? But I just, it just, yeah, I'm kind of with you on that issue. It, seem, it seems kind of washy. Like, just made me hate her. It's a lot of Bruce being like, oh, do you remember you said this? And if this happened, she's like, yeah, I remember. Yeah, it's the, I think, let's be honest, just, just say it all works out perfectly. And, um, Harvey becomes the White Knight. Bruce retires. Do you ever think he's really going to be out the game forever? That Gotham's going to... I don't think it would turn around like it would. Bruce would be back in a couple of years. I, I don't think Harvey could... You know, Gotham is what Gotham is. I don't think he she does. She does have a thing for, for very, very unavailable and incredibly... Ambitious. High stakes, <laughs> ambitious men. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Does she think that Harvey's ever going to have any time for her when he's yeah. when he's trying to tear down the seediness of Gotham? The, the guy's literally having to pretend to be Batman to make himself bait to allow Batman to catch psychopaths. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, what the hell? So Dent confesses to being Batman to lure out the Joker, who attacks the police convoy transporting him. Batman and Gordon, who faked his death, apprehend him, earning Gordon a promotion to commissioner. At the police station, Batman interrogates the Joker, who admits he finds the vigilante entertaining and has no intention of killing him. Having deduced Batman's feelings for Rachel, the Joker reveals that she and Dent are being held separately in buildings rigged to explode. Batman races to save Rachel while Gordon goes after Dent, but they discover the Joker switched the positions. Rachel was killed in the explosion, and although Dent is rescued, his face is severely burned on one side. The Joker escapes custody, extracts the fortune's location from Lau, and burns it all.
fucking hell, there's a lot to unpack here. I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to put it out there right now, okay? I'm going to put it out there. Then Brentley could save Rachel. Go Mark, on. They all, they all rolled up there and were just like, yo, is, is this the right building? Is this the right building? Gordon was like, yo, what are you having for tea tonight? I was like, yo, get in the building. <laughs> no, I'm saying. Do you know, do you know what? I, I think Gotham had soaring petrol prices. And when they got on the Google... <laughs> It was like, do you want time or distance? And they was like, let's, let's switch that. They were like... Maybe it's ahead of its time. Brilliant. The Batmobile crashes and lands backwards, right? Mm. So the homeless people on the street or whoever watching that, are, they're looking at the back, right? Batman... And we all know that, and we all saw that the cycle, it goes to the front, yeah? He goes into the middle, down, and he's facing the front. So he should be facing away from them, right? All of a sudden, the Batmobile explodes, the Bat cycle comes out, he faces them, and he just rides out into the, into the night, and it's like, what? Oh, yeah. What happened? <laughs> yeah. I literally had to keep going backwards and forth. I was like, yo, but do you know what? I don't care, because that was incredible. <laughs> I, I loved every second of this. I didn't I mean, see a single continuous. It was amazing. <laughs> I wouldn't have noticed at all if I hadn't have watched the video. You know, Batman, you know, when you first see the Batmobile, um, it's com he's coming against moving traffic. You see there are cars, even though it's a fucking curfew, which I don't understand. There's loads of cars in this um, underpass, right? Batman suddenly is coming the wrong way down this uh down this road and suddenly there are no cars like he's got a clear wow. you know there, there are cars on every side there's so many cars going past this convoy and then all of a sudden <laughs> you see the batmobile come into view and there are no cars on the freeway at all on this on this pass at all yeah yeah man that batmobile is not in any way shape or form the right direction you're right <laughs> <laughs> You check it out right now. Yeah, yeah I, I yeah. just didn't notice it. I was like, yeah. completely the wrong way. How did I miss that? And it's like, yeah, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> still, man, it's just so epic. And it's still just to see. I think that's. I think that's one of the things with with practical kind of stunts and effects. Like when done right, they almost can master stuff like that because you you yeah. are just so blown away by. What happens like that truck could have literally flipped the opposite direction and i'd been like yo did you see that truck flip <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do, you know I mean? do, you, do you know what i mean it's just so well done you can't yeah um yeah. and the joker is just wild in this part i mean you really fucking think that the whole city of gotham's got no chance against him mm. um I, you know he says later in the film do i really look like a guy with a plan I mean, the way that he fucking took out those helicopter helicopter sure made it look like he had a plan. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> By the way, that was a great joke impression. That was brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that was brilliant. But, but yeah, when, when those cables come out and uh, and they know exactly when to do it, they've got the equipment, uh, they've got the the precision and the timing. They're organised, and then the helicopter yeah. gets caught up in the cables. I'm like. You, you fucking have a plan. Don't bullshit me. Not only that, he had the foresight to know that they'd be using helicopters. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, think about it. <laughs> this is what I mean. He's capable of human relationships. He has loyal henchmen. Uh, he has them well-trained and well-drilled. He clearly spends time going over plans with precision. So I'm, call I'm, not, I'm not throwing a bollocks card, but I'm calling bullshit on the Joker's claim that he... Maybe, maybe that's exactly what you want him to believe, that he doesn't have a plan, that he doesn't know what he's doing, but really he is. I mean, there's the whole thing about, you'll, Ben, you'll know, we've read many a Wikipedia page on, on comic book superheroes and how we know that the Joker is actually an expert hand-to-hand -hand combatant, but mm. doesn't ever act like, it is, like he is. 
I have uh, one small added extra for uh, this chase scene. Go on. Uh, and it's a hidden future villain of Gotham um, who really scared the hell out of me when I uh, <laughs> saw the person in this scene. <laughs> so you remember that there's two kids in the back of the car, right? <laughs> shoot, shoot, shooting at traffic. Okay. Yeah. We all done it as kids, you know, pew, pew, pew. And then the cars start blowing up. I don't know if you remember this clearly. Absolutely, absolutely. 100%. Right. When the actual cars explode, the two kids both react. One of them in pure fear, you know, natural reaction as you should. You've just blown up a car with a laser pistol from your hand. The other kid just looks so excited and happy that he just blew up a car. <laughs> and I think there's a secret villain hidden in that character. Oh, like Gotham is, has never seen. <laughs> I, I, I think they could make a series I, I, n unnamed at the moment, but Dead, they could have made a whole film. Deadshot. <laughs> Potentially, but By one the of the kids terrified. The second one, pure joy. By the way, Ian, yeah. I don't know what kind of family you're from, but I didn't try. I didn't fantasize about shooting. I cars. can't ever say I, I can't ever say I did. Just the fact that they probably did that alone was probably an example of it. They, we played the license plate game in our car. <laughs> They used to sell toys, and you like stuck them in your car on the car doors, and you push a button, and it had like different noises. So you'd have like laser gun, machine gun, grenade launcher. You're from Burnham. Your parents, your parents went in. We used to play the "That's My Car" game, and the whole premise of that was that the fact we'd never owned that car in our lives. That's more like it. Absolutely. This uh, this, this chasing actually reminds me of the school ride home. So. Uh... <laughs> He's like, that's a Thursday. I could relate. <laughs> You're unbelievable, man. You're unfucking believable. What the fuck was Gordon's plan? All he did was drive the truck and then happened to end up with a chance to arrest the Joker. However, he was the person driving Harvey's truck. And to be fair, seemed to be the only person who had an inkling or the slightest inkling as to what he was doing. Because funny enough, I remember watching that scene and thinking... Okay, I know this is Gordon now, so I'm actually going to watch this guy. I'm going to pay attention to the fact that what he does. And it's quite funny, they build him up in the fact that the guy sits next to him and he's like, hey, you better have some good driving skills or something like that. So he's obviously just to show like, oh, this guy better be good. You know what I'm saying? And to be fair, driving-wise, all the other trucks got hammered. But Gordon's, because, you know, Gordon's a don, the truck, his, his truck just happens to make it for the most part. For the most part, before it stops. But what his plan must have been more than make sure that I deliver Harvey, you know, to the to where we're going. Like this was obviously something that they planned, uh, you know, starting with his faking his death. And Ian, you always talk about conspiracy theories, right? And your big thing is how the implausible they are based on who would have to who would have to know in order to pull it off, right? Yeah. So, in your opinion, how many people would have to know Gordon was alive in order for him to be the driver in the SWAT van transporting Dent at that very time? I mean, just the logistics of getting him anywhere near that, you would have to go through the station, right? So, there's just this random cop with a random number in this station full of cops. Transporting the most important prisoner in Gotham history. Now, and... the start, start from the death scene, right? The paramedics at the scene of his supposed how... death. However, we, 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 we're presuming that this actually went to plan, when actually, I think what, what we're saying is that, you know, more people knew about this conspiracy than, you know. But 
what I'm saying is that if, he was obviously pronounced dead at the scene, right? So there's the paramedics, right? Then there's the funeral directors, the morticians, the SWAT team themselves. They all know who they, you know, who each yep. other are. And yep. when you consider your inner circle is full of rats, exactly. How the fuck did he keep this a secret? Or maybe you're right. Maybe he didn't. Do you think this is why? He's Jim um... Gordon. <laughs> let's let's just come on now. Let's face it. There's no other explanation for it. Absolutely, yeah. it would logistically it would never work. I mean, as an absolute minimum, obviously Harvey would have to know, and then Batman would have to know. Else he would just be like, "Yo, do you know what I mean?" It's like I'll, I'll save Harvey. I'll save Dent, but he knew there was a wheel man that he could trust. Just, just loads, loads of stuff. But it literally is one of those ones where. We kind of chalk it up to the uh, almost the anti bollocks card if there is one, where we know it's bollocks, but we're just gonna ignore it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's it, again the, this this uh, trick didn't really pay off. It didn't work, and it, it's probably because of the number of the people. I can't remember the two got sort of Ramirez and someone else. Fuck Ramirez. Are the only two mentioned, but can you imagine how many other people are probably oh. like, oh yeah, Gordon's dead. Oh yeah, sure. Did you hear about <laughs> Gordon? <laughs> Gordon, it's like, that, I'm driving. Wait, I'm it's just... like, of course you are. <laughs> sure, mate. Gordon's dead. What do you mean, Gordon? Yes, I just sir. didn't take a regular donut. <laughs> I, just, I just gave him a helmet just now. He told me to put it on his head really tightly. And I was like, don't tell anyone. I was like, oh, okay. The only one Gordon probably really tricked was his own family. And, they... <laughs> <laughs> and even his son wasn't that bothered. Literally turns up and his son's like, hey, dad, you bring me anything? <laughs> it's, like, what <laughs> the hell? it's so true. Uh, obviously, the son's been informed that he's dead, and he, he wakes up from a from a sleep. You know, kids are really disorientated when they wake up from a sleep. His dead father is standing by his bed, <laughs> stroking would, his face. Yeah, I'd be like, "Fuck!" <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. The citywide curfew all because a madman is on the loose that the police cannot stop, who can almost single-handedly overthrow the entire Gotham PD. I mean, why do people stay in these crime-ridden cities in these films? Is it mobility? I guess people... Gentrification! (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I had to do it. I had to do it. In a later podcast, everyone, that will make so much more sense, I promise you. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't, you know, I guess people don't move their lives anywhere like they used to, and that's an American thing anyway, isn't it? In the UK, it really is. If you are rooted in the UK, you say you went from Manchester to Birmingham, we're talking 80 miles or something, not much changes. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, exactly that. Isn't it just moving from California to Oregon, for instance, like... Which on a map it looks like it's the next state over. You but... change time zones for Christ's sake. Oh yeah, it's easily. easily <laughs> Clocks <about> change. <laughs> Think about that. Yeah. You go, you go Manchester to Birmingham. It's eighty miles. You go from California to Oregon. It's about eight hundred miles. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's a different world. Um, so yeah. But you know, I have friends uh, from the states. As you know, I've picked up a few, a fair few over the years. When something isn't working out for them in the place that they're at, they move. They just try a different city. Yeah, yeah. You know, sure, when you have a family, you're less mobile. But, you know, I know there is always the poorest of the so-called underclass that can't afford to catch a bus, let alone, um, you know, move on and up. But uh, Gotham has the capacity to sustain that. I mean, they've got a working class and they've got a middle class. 
I mean, in fact, the three, the three of us did it. We, uh, we moved from London to Manchester, and uh, only I eventually shifted back down south, but that was 10 years later. Mm. I think the funny thing is, though, I mean, remember we actually said in the first in the first part, we talked about how Gotham has really had those extremes and really showed that, where you literally crammed your way up. I think even just the potential of what you could be at Gotham, whether you went the right way or the wrong way, in itself could potentially kind of keep people, keep people there. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's one of those things. Ian, would you say Burnt Oak is the Gotham of North London? Mm, no, I, I think there was... I thought Burnt Oak was bad, but there were worse places. Uh, funny enough, we were talking about Graham Park. Do you remember that? Yeah, Graham Park Absolutely. is... Uh, Anton, you'll, you'll find this funny. Terrible. When uh, we used to get the... Was it the N5? Yeah. The N5 back from Camden, mostly. Uh, when we were when we were younger, we were out clubbing, you know, goth industrial scene. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the N5... It's late always, days. Yeah. It wouldn't, have been, wouldn't have been out of place in Gotham itself, to be fair. It's true. Um, it's early to mid-2000s, what we're talking about. Uh, yeah, uh, 2001, wow. 2002, 2003. Wow. Um, we used to go get, take the N5 home and... They used to run, go through this place called Graham Park. We always used to play Enter Sandman when uh, when we were going through it because it's like <laughs> exit light, <laughs> enter night. <laughs> it was yeah. it was literally when you crossed over the border from anywhere into Graham Park, it light became night. Seriously, it was, it was always like <laughs> dark clouds looming over it. And yeah, everything. it was yeah terrifying place. And that's where your brother works full time now. Yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> It's quite a nice area now. They rebuilt, knocked down a lot, rebuilt a lot. Gentrification! <laughs> yes! 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 So glad! Yes, twin! <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Uh, so, um... Well, look, I have just looked at the clock. I mean, I think we're going to have to call it a day and split this into two. <laughs> there's there's just there's way too much way too much to unpack in this film it deserves it deserves justice we've been talking for over two hours and no one's going to listen to us talk for three this is the podcast this film needs not the one it deserves no i, I messed up i messed up no. how do you say it? no 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 this is the podcast it, it, it needs not the one it deserves i can't even remember. I, I messed up you know what i mean you know what i mean look even the film even the film uh doesn't you know it messes with it like no one actually understands what, what wait, that means. Wait, is it is it why why don't they deserve him <laughs> so why, why do they need him though <laughs> you don't deserve him but you need him no no it's i need you but don't deserve you wait what <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, a real brilliant. mind fuck um, brilliant brilliant but I, like i said like three hours is asking too much people don't really generally stick around after three minutes so true that we are going to have to make like Christian and bail. Oh, nice. We wanted a 10 episode first season. We're getting an 11 episode first season. I mean, shit happens. Bonus special. That's it. Um, yes. Okay, everyone. Next week is a bonus episode uh, as we will tackle the second half of this epic Nolan superhero film. Um, apologies. We weren't expecting this, but... Uh, it just leaves me to thank my co-hosts. Uh, Anton? If you're good at something, never do it for free. Thank you. And Ian? You complete me. 
thank you for that. <laughs> Remember, folks, your next picture is whatever you make it. Uh, for us, it's part two of The Dark Knight. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, make it a good one, and we'll see you back next week. Uh, surprise, one more episode to come. Good night. Try your eyes, mate.